Hello everyone, this is 180 Grams with me, Mikey Carl. We're at episode 4 of Run Home Slow, the second studio album from our heroes, the Teskey Brothers. Before becoming the title of the album, Run Home Slow was a song Brendan Love wrote. I think the, I think the most literal kind of interpretation is just Run Home Slow about, oh, you know, being away on tour and wanting to come home, but you can't because you're so far away and blah, 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 blah. But for me, it was always... Uh, much more of an introspective kind of uh, statement or exclamation and kind of looking at, you know, just the idea of home and how that changes as you get older and the desperation you feel sometimes to run back to it. But, uh, you know, there's obstacles in the way and quite often those obstacles are your own, um, I guess, demons and trauma. Recording in Sam's Warrenite studio through all of December 2018 is over. Paul's made it back to the US via the UK, clutching two reels of two-inch tape wrapped in silver foil. And there's still so much to do. On both sides of the Pacific Ocean, the job list is growing. Only days into January 2019, band manager Jeremy puts the situation into perspective. The band were exhausted and couldn't actually work out how they wanted to complete the album. They knew they wanted some string parts. They knew they wanted some more backing vocals. They knew they needed to add percussion. They wanted to add horn parts. We'd, we'd run out of time to do a lot of the keys parts. It was still only the bones of the album at the end of, at the, end of the sessions. Morale was very low and, and no one had a really good answer as to how they were going to get the thing finished. Uh, there was pressure. They knew that, that there was an expectation that this album would get finished sometime within the next two years and and they couldn't even see how it was going to get done. January 5, 2019. The Teskey Brothers have a headline slot at a small summer festival held at Mosvale Park in southeast Victoria's green hinterland. It's just minutes up the Streslecky Highway from a town called Leangatha. It's the first time they've seen each other since Paul, the producer, left. Jeremy, the band manager, calls a crisis meeting to try and tie up some loose ends, which will hopefully get the album finished. He holds these meetings quite frequently, but this one has a different air to it. They're all coming face to face after the anti-climax of Paul Butler leaving with, let's be frank, only half a record. Liam's hanging around the motel with his then-girlfriend, waiting for the meeting to start. Four band members had to just sort of, we just went off and left everyone else and everyone was sort of a little bit like, ooh, you know, there's a bit of a feeling of like, oh, they're going to have a meeting, like... Well, I wonder what they're going to talk about sort of stuff, you know. The, it, was, it was sort of like a little function room that served as a board meeting room that I think probably hadn't been used since the 90s but was probably built in the 80s but styled like the 70s. It's sort of place where they didn't turn the lights on because they wanted to conserve power even though we we're going to be in there for a few hours having a meeting. There was a bar there that had that obviously had some sort of wedding function or something in there. The night before, a few nights before, and there was bottles of Jägermeister still on the table, which I remember sort of made me wretch thinking about drinking Jägermeister from past experiences. Um, it was just really dark, and we sort of sat there along, around this ridiculously big table. It was dark inside, light outside in the middle of the day, and, yeah, just looking over at this coal mine poppet head um, historical gallery i guess or something it's just such a weird setting we're talking about recording the album which is you know 
centered around Warrandyte and trying to get work done. And we're in the middle of East Gippsland or Gippsland, wherever we were, in this strange boardroom. It was strange. Despite all the work so far, Brennan sees much more ahead going into the meeting. I'm lit, like I'm going out of my mind because I'm just like, there's so much work to do and now Paul's gone and we don't have the tapes and it's just, how are we going to do this? Sitting in the room is the band, Jeremy, and assistant manager, Al Parkinson. That was, that was full on, that meeting. It was kind of like full of silence, but everyone was yelling. The band meeting to figure out how to finish the album gets underway in the dark conference room. Jeremy's prepared and pragmatic, armed with a list of what's ahead, which is a bit more than Liam expected. I remember having a sinking feeling during the meeting, thinking like, how are we going to get all this done? Paul's gone with the tapes. You know, like, how's this going to happen? Josh, however, is feeling classically optimistic. You know, I'm very simplistic with... You know, with a lot of these things, I was happy for Paul to then put his touch on the top of some of the, you know, some of what we've done and and add some of these horn lines, a lot of which we had, we'd already given him the ideas of what we wanted there. I I thought, you know, a pretty, a simple matter of, um, you know, just adding a few of these salt and peppers on the top of of what we wanted. Uh, To my my opinion, I would have, I would have wanted very little, you know, I I think, you know, where we're at was great and just uh, the songs were there. Brendan wanted to put a lot more on the top of it you know I was wanting to keep it more you know simple like that Uh, so we just had to you know find a a middle ground of how much more needed to happen. Sam often wants to keep it a bit more simplified too but Josh and well everyone in the room knows collectively they'll need to find some middle ground that'll show them exactly what's ahead. Cut to Brendan he's not saying a lot while having conniptions on the inside. Josh was keen to leave things as they were um in my mind, I could see the songs, they were really well written, and I knew that we were definitely onto something, but I wasn't comfortable to just handball it off to Paul and say, you know, our job's done, here, you do the rest. Um, we had the bones of it done, vocals, guitar, drums, bass, but in my opinion, it was far from finished. Um, I just knew that these songs deserved a lot more love and attention than that. And I knew Paul would agree. Um, And that was in keeping with my whole, I guess, goal at the start of this process was taking it further than we had before and really pushing ourselves to explore. So I wasn't ready to just sort of step back at that point. Um, And I had a list of notes for pretty much every song. I wanted to try something, either adding or taking out or different instruments, different little parts, just coming up with all of these little intricacies and nuances that I thought could take the songs to that next place. Um, And some of the key things were the horns on Man of the Universe. Strings on Carry You. Backing vocals on San Francisco. Pedal steel on that bird. Things like that. I was just so... I was just sure that... 
I was sure that we at least needed to try recording some of these parts to see how they sounded. Um, but in that meeting, I just froze up because I could barely say a word. I was actually, I was actually a bit shocked um, at how casually the others, I guess, were taking the whole thing, and my mind was just racing with how much more work I thought we needed to do. And I, and I guess it was because of that apathy from the others that I really just. I couldn't see how it was going to get done, and I guess that was also the point that I had realized that the recording process was had been a little volatile and turbulent at times, and so I guess rather than continuing to sort of disagree and argue about parts and whether songs needed something or didn't, I just took the approach of, I'm just going to book a studio myself. I'm going to go in there with the session musicians or play parts myself. And I'm just going to have fun and explore. And with our sound engineer now, uh, we went into Sound Park. And yeah, we, we just got creative and explored and just tried a whole bunch of different things. And at the end of the session, I would bounce them out and I would send them in a Dropbox folder to Paul and, and have a little description on what I'd done and what I was thinking and he would go through them and, you know, sometimes he'd sort of go, yeah, I don't know if that's quite right. But, um, you know, he was he was excited as well. And that process for me was, I guess, was almost one of the funner parts because I just got to explore and just try different things. And I really liked that process of collaborating with Paul and, and really trying to get into the songs and just figure out how to take them further. In the middle of the meeting, Jeremy builds up the nerve to say something controversial. This is the first time I ever put forward a creative idea to the band about their music, and I probably will never do it again. There was a song on the album which I just wasn't really connecting with, and and it was one that had been, I guess, really written in the studio. It wasn't sort of big part of the pre-production. I guess I just put forward my, my thoughts about about this song and and not that it should be omitted but that maybe it needed some more work or needed needed a rework that song is carry you this one and um respectfully the band looked at me and said this is this is exactly the way we want this song to sound that song has since, it's been streamed over five million times now. There are some notes on another song. I guess a, a gentle suggestion that if it was a few clicks faster, it could become a banger. There was feedback that they wanted to speed the tempo of So Caught Up, Up. So they wanted it to be faster, a bit poppier. And we'd sort of gone in the other direction after working on it. And we tried that song so many times throughout the recording process, you know, changing things up. You know, Paul in the room with us jamming and, and working on the groove, looking at the tempo. And we ended up slowing it down. And so that was another thing that it was completely the opposite to what the labels had suggested. It's not just the band's desire to finish the album. They're signed with labels in Australia, Germany, the UK and US, all waiting for them to get this done. Each one is expecting something in the first months of 2019, getting label staff prepped, media ready, tours in place. Josh again. 
with this stuff everyone wants to put a put a deadline on everything and that's so you know there's a whole you know marketing plan and a whole you know everything needs to happen these things always seem to be running behind you know so especially with us you know because we're, we're slow to do things there's also the money side of the projects the extra weeks and months are expenses bleeding from a bank account and so it was a bit daunting talking about how much money was actually going to be spent on the album on mixing on all these processes and thinking are we ever going to recoup this money through the label um you know we're not working anymore at this point you know we're only making money from the band so like we're thinking about wages and all all the bills coming in and stuff yeah that meeting was a big wake-up call because we sat down and we talked through all the stuff we hadn't got done the timeline of when we needed to, to deliver it to the labels i remember i just having sweaty palms in that uh that meeting the mossvale park meeting stretches over two hours plenty is left unresolved and after his outburst during recording brendan has spent the time trying to listen thanks to some professional help afterwards al was like i've never seen you so quiet and i was like yeah i've i've never been so worried about something you know what i mean like i've you know literally i was like i just because yeah i think you know the other guys were kind of like yeah paul's got it he'll do it and i was like will he yeah is that is that right yeah is that is that it yeah will he do it you know like i'm not i'm not comfortable with that by that point i had started seeing a psychologist to you know i guess work on some of my own things and uh you know uh, work on communication a bit better and and then afterwards i said to Jez, our manager do you think i handled that well and he was he was sort of like yeah i mean you, you you were definitely well behaved and you didn't speak out of turn but he was like your body language was that of a murderer <laughs> so i guess i wasn't conscious of that i was making a conscious effort to sort of you know to just let everyone say their piece and then calmly come back with my opinion but i guess you know <laughs> these are the things you learn about yourself jeremy gets up out of his chair leaves the data conference room and is left to ponder the situation they're all in. I guess I had to relay this to the labels and relay where things were at. And so I just had to to sort of be the coach uh, who was just throwing out the occasional encouragement line and, and, and just facilitating if there's anything that needed to be booked. Your studio needs to be booked. No problem. Let's keep going. It's great. It's going to be awesome. The one thing I walked away with, I don't know how this is going to get finished, but I do know that they're not going to compromise on anything. And that gave me confidence because I just knew that, you know, we had to get this done the way they wanted to get it done. And so there were no options in terms of cutting corners. There were no options in terms of calling in someone else to come and, and do parts. It was it was going to have to be done the Teskey way. Yeah, I remember that sinking feeling. And it didn't really leave when we left the room, but we just had to snap out of it. The meeting had gone for far longer than was planned and allowed for, and we had to go back and, uh, yeah, get ready for the gig. Not only is the lead-up to recording hectic, now they're finally out of the studio, there's barely any downtime before they're doing what working bands do, play live gigs. First is the Australian Open Tennis Grand Slam live stage on January 16, 2019. Then off to the airport. Then the guys had to set off on a European tour, uh, which started late Jan and went through till mid-Feb. And that completely destroyed me. The band arrives in Germany. Three shows there, bang, bang, bang. Then one show in France, Belgium, 
the Netherlands, and then drive to the UK for another five shows in six days. Yeah, and I had this moment on stage in London where we were playing like a sold-out show in this beautiful theatre. Um, you know, the audience was awesome. Like Josh and Sam, everyone's having a great time. And I just had this moment on stage where I was just... I wasn't aware. Like, I just had a moment. I saw myself from the outside. I was just completely despondent, like blank face, not enjoying it. And I was like, didn't even remember the songs I was playing. I just went into autopilot. You know, when you're on the freeway and you get halfway home and you're like, I really should have been in paying attention. I was having that. And I was like, and then I just realized, I was like, oh my God, the thing I love has become the thing I hate. And so that was kind of the breaking point for me where I was like, I need to get help. <laughs> like mental health facilities for one. And then through that, working on mental health plans with a GP and then psychology and therapy and the psychologist wanted to wanted to put me on medication ssris for depression and i didn't take them because i didn't want to not be on the top of my game they played their last gig in manchester and return home there's still two more shows in australia when they get back and it's the end of february before they get a free week to work on the album again the guys are at home and they're exhausted and they've finished their european tour and and they just have been working non-stop for, for, for months and months and months and they just wanted some headspace and some 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 uh, a break from this album, but they couldn't. With the two tapes ready, Paul Butler is in San Francisco, sitting behind a huge analogue mixing desk awaiting their instructions. When he does get going, it's stop, start and stilted. Jeremy explains. So all the faders are at different spots on his desk. All the outboard gear is all set to different levels and he would have to leave all that, send through the mix. Then he would get the feedback from the band and then the next day he would continue the mix. And using an analogue desk means this process is tedious. When the mixes from overseas are coming through, the band is in different places. Liam, for the most part, is under a car. You know, Sam and Brennan, who mixed the first album, they were able to do it together in the room. And when you're in the room listening to things, it's a lot easier to make decisions rather than going, can we just hear that with a tambourine hit on only uh, two and four instead of one and three? Because that would take Paul an hour and a half to do a mix, send it to us for the four of us to listen to it again, for four of us to write back. I was restoring a 1961 Carmen Gear car. The Volkswagen Carmen Ghia is the most economical sports car you can buy. So I was, I was in my overalls and filthy, and whenever we got a mix, I'd whack my headphones on, and I'd, you know, literally be under a car or something, you know, covered in grease, listening to mixes. And then Paul Butler would have to wait to hear back from the band 12,000 kilometres away. Daytime in Melbourne means it's yesterday in California, but about seven hours later in that day. Thank you for bringing all this up. I kind of just like erased it out of my memory. <laughs> I just remember, I had a lovely time doing that album with the Sesky Brothers, but now you mention it, yeah. Um, I guess the mixing process was, yeah, it was difficult because there's 12, 13 hours, I think, 12 hours difference. I had an, a, like an old analog board that I couldn't do like instant recalls. So I had to finish a mix each time before moving on. That was when Brendan probably went, very far into the minute detail of there should be a tambourine hit here, but not there. Paul's talking about the infamous tambo hits you can hear in rain. 
there's seven hits in the song at the moment. It's like, that's a very, you know, sparing use of a tambourine, some might say. But we were, we went deep on where those seven hits landed. Very deep. Way too deep. Three days, four days deep. <laughs> it's a, should, should there be a tambourine hit on this beat or this beat? But, um, you know, we did that. No one will ever know the difference. Apart from us. <laughs> Brendan and Sam are not on the same page with Rain. Sam wants less, less, less. And Brendan feels it's becoming too abstract, like a John Cage piece. And in the end, after, you know, many backing and forthing and me writing dissertations on why I think rhythmic progression and, uh, you know, like not just cadencing harmonically, I think, you know, building pre-choruses and interludes with rhythm is just as important as it is melodically. Um, I just realized that it's, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to win. I'm not going to convince anyone of anything here. It's just a, it's just a difference of opinion. Sam is sticking to his guns with rain, protecting his vision as the rest of the band and Paul watch on while the two squabble on a WhatsApp message thread. Jez sets up separate threads for every song, which is both necessary and excruciating. Particularly Rain was, was a hard one because it was a very special song to me and, and, and the lyrics really, you know, mean a lot to me and it's quite a, I really saw it in a particular way and, and I guess the horns, I, they needed to sound in a particular way as well. So there's, there's always a lot of push-pull in this way and I guess we didn't find the perfect way to work together and for me I felt like me and Brenda worked really well together on Half Mile Harvest and doing that first album and that was really good. So I don't know why it sort of fell apart for this album and we, we, couldn't, we couldn't work with in the same way. Rain has a lot of space in it. Um, and a lot of our music does, but Rain particularly was important to get right because the vocal performance, it's all about the vocal performance on that song and the lyrics and the intention. Um, so not like trying not to overdo it, but also not allowing ourselves to just kind of go... Oh, yeah, that'll do. You know, like there's there's definitely some exploration that needed to happen to to really see that song come to life. Let's take a quick look under the bonnet. Rain has 96 different elements in the recording at one stage. 96. That gets chopped back to 14 in the end. Drums, bass, four guitar parts, pedal steel, vocals, backing vocals, organ, sax, trumpet, trombone, and of course, tambourines. Yeah, some of those things were just what extra textures and layers can we add on top of this without making it too overproduced, um, but with also without leaving it too stark. And one of my big things with arrangement, I guess, uh, one of the, the aesthetics that I kind of follow or enjoy is I hate hearing a second verse that's the same as the first musically. I'm just, you know, a song's a story and so... As the lyrics evolve, I tend to like it when the music kind of evolves in a way that opens the listener up to something changing as well. So whether it's something really subtle, but just enough to kind of 
uh, you know, keep the story moving forward, I guess, um, and placing things in positions that might catch you off guard or, or just, yeah, open you up. Um, and Rain was a, Rain was an interesting one because it started off very much sounding like a classic Teskey Brothers 6-8 soul song. But at the start of this whole album, one of my briefs was the second we start to do something that I felt like we've done before, I just, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, it's like, I just want to push it and see what we can come up with. So, and I think the end result, you know, Rain is definitely a soul song, but now it kind of has this, uh, there is a slight sort of Western country aesthetic to it as well. Um, and that was, I guess, with the addition of the pedal steel and just the layering of doubling vocals in subtle spots and the tambourine hits. Um, but getting those tambourine hits was, yeah, another one of those stop work, uh, you know, me and Sam battles. And, I mean, it was just as simple as, you know, Sam didn't want any tambourine on the song and I did. Um, I can't really say it any simpler than that. Hey there, I'm Josh Teske. Because, um, you know, when you got a song, it's like you can either keep it as it is or we could add this, we could do whatever to it. I mean, there's so many different directions you can go with it. There's no way I'm going to argue with a lot of this stuff on the over a message group. And so I had to let it go a, a bit. And I sort of, with with some of my songs, I say, I think I'm so proud of these songs and I'm so, I think they're so incredible that I don't, I don't think what we do to them, I always used to say to myself, no matter what anyone adds to it or what we do, we can't ruin it. You know, I don't think it can be ruined unless we do something really bad. So I kind of... And when something happens to it, unless I really hate it, you know, I was just letting it go and letting, you know, letting a few things sort of um, just happen during that time. That bird was the song on the album. That was the, that was the bird that broke this camel's back. <laughs> um, and it was such a silly thing in retrospect looking back, but I was just so, like, just so in it that I couldn't see the forest through the trees. And Sam was kind of wanting to sort of dry it up a bit and make it less spacey and ethereal and, and kind of strip it back to just kind of the the principal instruments. And so that was the that was the main point of uh, tension on that one. Brendan is being strong-willed and Sam isn't budging. The working relationship isn't working. And it got to the point where we were sending notes like, you know, Sam would say, you know, the pedal steal it. 23 seconds is too much needs to come out and then i'd listen to it and go oh well yeah but i like i like the way that that's referencing the vocal melody and then you know what i mean you can imagine how hard it is to talk about these things <laughs> via text message you know three in the morning for us and then me and sam are at it and then jez was trying to kind of come in and keep the cool and and then i was just like nah fuck you know like just like it had enough he adds a contemplative outro to san francisco which leads into Sunshine Baby. Take a listen. Exquisite. The album sales past deadline. Decisions still need to be made. Jez gets proactive and organises US R&B singer Lady Ray to go to a studio in New York and sing backup vocals on So Caught Up. Done. Brendan Sam and musician and composer Andrew Murray take turns heading into Sound Park Studios in the northern suburbs of Melbourne with three horn players. They put down parts for So Caught Up, Rain, Paint My Heart, 
and man of the universe. Brennan zips up the files and sends the parts to Paul in California, who drops them into the mix and even blows a few trumpet lines himself. He sends the tracks back to the band, then goes to sleep. Paul wakes to a barrage of messages on the WhatsApp thread. Things are getting personal. Some say they're tapping out of the decision-making because they've hit another impasse. Paul's fingers and thumbs get to work, typing this up, then he presses send. Hey fellow music-loving humans. What joy to see people so impassioned by the music they make. It's a rare quality in this day and age. Friction among creatives has been part and parcel between many of the great bands. Passive and non-caring rhetoric when addressing your creations results in stagnancy and a general energy that does not excite the listener. The energetic story behind all these songs is multi-layered and rich. That's thanks to all of your input and all of your care and attention. Your keen ears are enlivening and enriching each track and helping them live. We're really close to the finish line and this is traditionally a tense time after so much has already gone into the process. The music is the sum of its parts. Everyone is involved. You've all done a great job. We're now days away from completion. Deep breaths and let's wrap this up. Much love and respect. That's the calm wisdom they need to hear right now. Cut the crap and finish the album. It's like any argument you ever have with your partner or anything. It's just like, it's not about the dishes. You know, like, it wasn't about the pedal steel. It was about the three years of touring together, pressure, you know, 15 years of friendship, but three years of being put into the compressor of all of this stuff going on that we were just so unaware and naive about. And, you know, so it's just like, it it wasn't about the pedal steel. I mean, it was, but, you know, like, in the greatest scheme of things, it wasn't. They throw the album to now Anzai, who puts his engineering hat on and makes the songs even sturdier. Joe Carra from Crystal Mastering in Thornbury mastered Half Mile Harvest. Yeah, I can do that, yeah. And he's given the same responsibility for Run Home Slow. It actually might be really handy. Just have a look at 10 second, listen to it. You know, it just brings me back really quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, cool. No, 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 no. It's just a, it's good, good flashback. I could definitely hear straight away, having mastered the first album, I could hear that there was a step up in production. When I heard the second one, I could definitely hear Paul's influence on it all. I could hear that there was uh, another layer of production on there. I was, pre- I was pretty impressed straight up. I was like, ah, oh, this is a nice album. This is going to be really cool to work on. Brendan is the only one in the mastering studios. He gets sent notes by Sam, who has specific ideas about top and tailing songs to benefit the flow of the album. These notes arrive the night before Brendan heads into Crystal Mastering. Joe takes a listen. There were some songs I dampened the top end a little bit because that was that's the nature of the, the style of that music. You don't want it too fizzy too bright and it is, it is a little bit of a retrospective sound you know we'd play the last 30 seconds of one song and then they'd hear how i'd assembled it uh, and how it flowed into the say the second song and then they go right 
that sounds great. Or most of the time they would say, no. Nah. Brendan is in there with Joe and sending the mixes to the other three who would then send notes back to Brendan who would then direct Joe to make changes. Whew. Remind you of anything? <laughs> you know, like, I was in there all day getting it perfect. So I got a little frustrated. So yeah, a simple thing literally should have taken two hours and been done with stretched out to four days. And then I went in three times and then on the last time we finally got it. Everyone's happy, you know, we, we compromised, everyone kind of, we all came to an agreement. CD's done, here's your master reference, you know, have a listen to it in the car, just make sure everything's correct and then give me the thumbs up. And so I left the session, thanks Joe, see you later. Brendan walks out of Crystal Mastering, opens up his car door, slumps into his seat. It's over, finally. Yeah, threw the CD in my wheel well, didn't even bother listening to it. Um... And yeah, didn't listen to it again until it came out. I think probably a week or two after it came out, which was maybe four months, five months. Uh, not to be hyperbolic, but I literally did fall to pieces, like physically and emotionally. Like my body just like collapsed in my car seat and I couldn't move. And I was just staring out the window. I think I was sitting there for a couple of hours. I didn't even drive home. I was just in Preston, just like, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> It's actually still in the wheel well of my car. It's wedged between the seat and the, um, you know, that like the, the black hole of like change collection that is between the seat and the little, um, yeah, so it's in there. I mean, I probably should have kept it and put it away somewhere, you know, for a bit of a, you know, an archive because it's the original master. But at the same time, I was just like, yeah, no, nah, I'm done with that. You know, I, I think all of this tension and yeah, like, I just think all of the pain and kind of craziness that was going on around that time made its way onto the album. There's something, there's just, there's a character to that album that's really unique, I think, and it wouldn't have happened any other way. Soren's still in the band WhatsApp group, so he's been privy to the craziness of mixing, but still has fresh ears from finishing up at the studio back in December 2018. I think if you listen through the record... Um, the record was really, the record as you hear it, as you feel it you know, emotionally, all those different parts, um, it really was done in those three weeks. Like, the vocals were done, the the drums, the guitars, the bass, the band had done their thing. And you, if you listened to the recordings at that, that, that point in time, you'd still feel a very similar kind of emotion from from that. At the end of the day, the result was awesome. You know, like we we got we got a really cool. I'm super happy with how the horns are like on rain now, and I'm I'm stoked with the work that uh, Brendan did on on that, and, and the work that uh, now did. We came up with a really great result, and I think it's hard to see in the moment, but when when you listen back to it a year later, or listen back to it when it's being released, you're like ah, oh, cool, like we, we we got it. And I guess all all good things come in struggle, so. You know. I got home and, I don't know, a week or two discussion of the next tour started coming up and I just started thinking, man, I I just don't think I can do this. Um, and I sort of expressed that to Jez and he, he sort of helped me through the process of, I guess, coming to the decision and also breaking it to the others. 
This is 180 Grams, episode 4 of 6, all about the Teskey Brothers' second studio album, Run Home Slow, released in 2019. You've got it, you love it, good work. On the next episode of 180 Grams, out of the studio and into the world. First, second and third singles are set free. I really, I'm really feeling holy and I kind of think that, that would make the perfect first single. And he was like, what are you doing to me? There's gigs to play in the US and Splendor in the Grass is calling. Explore more of the show and the album and the episode notes of your podcast app. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we have produced this show. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging for they hold the memories and cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples within the Kulin Nation. We wish to celebrate the rich history of Indigenous storytelling and hope to uphold this as testament to their eternal influence. 180 Grams is brought to you by The Mushroom Group and hosted by me, Mikey Kalkaka. Executive producer is Matt Gadinsky of The Mushroom Group. Thank you so much to the following people who worked on this episode and did an amazing job. Courtney Carthy, my producer, Big Dork Energy. Tom Canellan, Lucas Setyadi, Lauren McCulley, Dan Baker, Loz Grice, Mushroom Creative House. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review in the app with correct punctuation or grammar. Just do your best. 